What's going on, North-South Connection? This is Mike Rossi coming at you with another little bit of a WrestleMania podcast. This time it's going to be a recap of everything that went down WrestleMania weekend. And it won't just be the indies and in, in the non-WWE this time. It'll be kind of encompassing everything that, that went down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area over the last week or so. Joining me is a very well-known name here on north-south connection that would be ryan gray how you doing today ryan rossi what's going on man lead us away to the promised land buddy absolutely so so ryan was in dallas i was at home uh, so we're gonna have a couple different perspectives on a lot of the shows here um definitely gonna not go over every show that would we'd be here until next week if we did that but or next mania weekend even maybe but um what we'll do is we're gonna run through I don't know, maybe about eight or nine shows. Um, not really too in depth with some of them. We'll finish up kind of. We'll do them in sequential order. We'll finish up with Mania, and we'll have Ryan kind of hit on some of his Dallas experiences at the end and and whatnot. So first and foremost, when I was at home um, last week, I mean, I, I had a uh, my my daughter's first birthday, so I wasn't able to watch everything live, but I did get pretty well caught up over the last few days. Um, I was able to watch pretty much everything Thursday night, which we'll go through um, in a little bit. I watched 95% of went down on Friday. And then Saturday, I didn't get to see NXT live, but I saw Mania live Saturday and Sunday. And then I was able to kind of skim through NXT the last couple days. Um, and then I watched the Raw after Mania pretty much live. So got to see all the all the important stuff, we'll say. Not that the 45 shows or whatnot that we will not go over were important, but it was just impossible for you to kind of break everything down. So Ryan, what did you go to when you were down there? And then, you know, consequently, uh, we'll say, what did you, have you watched since you've been home? Um, I've gone, I went to far less than I typically would go to, you know, dating back to Orlando, New Orleans and New York. So, you know, a different vibe for me, for sure. But I, I went to spring break one. I don't I don't. Yeah, I didn't go to anything Friday wrestling related. Um, oh, was, I don't like superstore stuff like I want superstore stuff. So, you know, if that's included, of course. But um, then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, excuse me, Saturday, I went to NXT with the crew. Had a nice little suite, so that was a fun experience. And then kind of hustled over to Mania slash made my way easily to Mania. And that was probably my favorite night was night one, WrestleMania, live anyways. Um, and then night two, WrestleMania Sunday. And then I met, we brought the kids to meet Drew. Got a picture with Drew McIntyre on f Monday morning. Did a little touristy bullshit. And then... Uh, Monday Night Raw to close the night. That's my kind of my wrestling experience there. No, I noticed you. I did see the picture with Drew. You, did the family meet uh, Finn Balor as well? Yeah, I think that was during NXT. So, yeah, the, the 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 wife and kids went and saw Finn Balor while I was at NXT. They chose Finn over NXT a few months ago. Months ago, but I ended up catching. They ended up watching it in the hotel room. <laughs> so they kind of played themselves a little bit after meeting Finn. So, but either, either way, it's you know. They didn't make a bad choice. A lot of line waiting and for like a 10 second picture with Finn. But at the end of the day, they're happy about it. And it was pretty cool. That kind of that that fighterman style they got going on now is I heard it's, it's a little chaotic. It was um, it was like in the back corner of the room. So it was like crammed and a little limited. 
but overall i'm curious what they do going forward with that opposed to going back to the regular access so oh it's it's interesting access was access slash the superstore was very um i would say it's a success for the times considering we are you know they didn't run out of merch really um it was pretty big the capacity was was large it's just like they kind of stuff stuff in the back like payment wise stuff in the back which i get but they in the panel was like way off to the side like those nxt panels or those like paul Heyman panels new day panels whatever those are off to the side so i didn't really see much of that the memorabilia stuff was cool Nice little token stuff. You had your hidden treasure wall, your past WrestleMania wall with a lot of merchandise or a lot of memorabilia and stuff. And then the merchandise was everywhere. And then they had a nice little, like, they had, like, two belt shops, you know, where you buy your belts or whatever. And then they had that nice little authentic stuff where they're kind of, like, numbering memorabilia now, which is smart. You know, we're football and wrestling cards and basketball card fans. So numbering stuff, you know, we, we, we like that and take that for granted. So that's a smart, unique approach that they're doing with stuff like i bought a john cena pin signed in a nice little seven by seven frame for like 75 bucks numbered out of 100 so that's cool yeah Yeah, with um speaking of memorabilia real quick uh you know wwe prism cards came out yesterday which have been crazy um i mean we're talking like fifteen hundred dollars a box right now in the resale market um which is insane um but i think it was a huge missed opportunity by wwe to not have some sort of tie-in with the, with Panini and Prism at Mania Weekend, um, even if it was as simple as having like blaster boxes ready or hangers or you know cello packs, whatever, something. Uh, I feel like that could have even made this this crazy hype even higher. Um, as you know, people, I don't know if anybody are into cards that are listening to this, but those WWE cards aren't cheap. I saw an Undertaker numbered non-autograph card posted for like twelve grand today. So so that's definitely the uh, the way the, that everything's going, even with wrestling cards these days, is pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, how, so you, you know how that goes, real quick, Mike. You know that this is the peak of that, and then next week that Undertaker card is going to be, you know, six thousand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then once it's in retail, it'll be a lot cheaper. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the Fighterman um, autograph because that seems like they really were kind of late to announce that stuff, and it kind of became hectic. I mean, I think Undertaker was announced like two weeks before the show um at this crazy price point so i'm interested to see where you know that goes with future events like obviously not even mania but i bet they'll have a presence at oh damn near almost every major pay-per-view now um and and by the time we get to mania next year you know maybe that'll be a lot smoother when they hit up la yeah they, they just need to get more organized but by probably getting so late in the game if they were just like literal if it, it felt like that the they had the layout ready for the superstore and slash access and they were just like oh shit yeah we can do this and like we have the space so we'll just kind of make it work over here and they didn't really have the space and it was kind of a clusterfuck my you know my wife and kids were in three or four different lines before they actually got in the line and they were there early to meet finn too so oh that's they're gonna work those quirks out but you know i didn't hear of anyone not meeting someone that they had a ticket to get to so overall the success have real quick before we get to the indie stuff in while we're in the access did you hear anything about the panels those special panels they're doing because i haven't heard any reviews i read up like i read a cody one but yeah uh, i haven't really heard much buzz or seen much about that have you that yeah, I mean it's Cody did so many goddamn interviews over the like the Saturday night into Monday stretch that it was kind of tough to 
you know, separate them all. And they all seem kind of similar. I actually listened to earlier today. I listened to his interview with Ariel Hawani, which is like 25 minutes. Really good. Listen, if you guys, if you didn't catch that one yet, but um, yeah, I was able to follow a little bit of it. I, something that that's another missed opportunity. I feel like that was something that they should have put on the network. Um, even if it was not, maybe they will down the road. Maybe I, they, I was just going to say, maybe they will. Yeah, because that would have been something I think that would have been cool. But it was also kind of it was off topic of WWE more so than I thought it would be because it, it took fan questions. Mm-hmm. Cody did make you know a lot of mentions like his time in AEW and stuff like that. And you know we are in a different industry now, but I feel like WWE might want to kind of lock that down from actually being on like Peacock and stuff. Uh, yeah. But but from what, everything I saw, it seemed cool. It it kind of reminded me of like the media scrums that AEW does after like their major pay-per-views where it's like all the reporters asking questions, except this time instead of reporters, it was actually fans that were able to ask questions. Uh, but the Cody one seems smooth. He was a surprise. I, I want to say he was like 11 or 1130 at night as mania night two was ending, which was kind of weird. Uh, but yeah. you know, the undertaker did one. It seems like they did some cool stuff. I saw some clips of the Bellas, obviously being a big Bella mark. Uh, but yeah, no, it seems like it's a cool idea. I think that that would be something I'd be interested in in future years for sure. Yeah, I'm just curious how they go. I mean, I wonder if they throw them off the network. And um, I was just wondering if you heard any buzz on them because I really hadn't just besides a few little whatever. I wonder if there's yeah. success. I wonder if there was tickets available. Just curious about that because that's a new future. And it sounds like, you know, it sounded like the Fighterman thing just a little rushed and vague leaving into it. I know the. I know personally that the Cody tickets were still available as of like Sunday afternoon because it was a mystery guest. So then they, instead of making it mystery, they announced it. And then as soon as they announced it was Cody, it like sold out instantly. So, Uh, but cool. No, I mean, I definitely see, you know, there was a lot of evolution with how WWE manages things kind of the post COVID era. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know that we'll ever see access like we used to with how hands-on it used to be with talent. But you never know. You know, next year might be a little bit more controlled. You know, we might not have to worry about a variant in um, you know three months prior. I mean, if that variant didn't hit the U.S. in in January with the with the fire that it did, maybe they would have gone a different route. Um, and we'll see where that goes next year. But it seems like they tested some stuff out, and I, I would assume next year might be kind of a, a mixture of both worlds. Well, comparing Orlando to New Orleans to New York, it was evolving anyways, where it became less autograph septic and more like picture oriented where they would just have superstars hidden in like rooms and you'd walk through like tarped areas and you'd be like, Oh wow, it's Tamina here. Here's your family. Take a quick picture with Tamina. And then you'd walk over and be like, Oh, there's the Velveteen dream. You can't touch the Velveteen dream just to remind you, but <laughs> the only one that said that, but whatever. Hey, maybe he would have been, t- want to been touched. I don't know. That's <laughs> <a good> story. <laughs> I was going to say, you're probably better off. You didn't touch him. Um, yeah, I went to in, in New York. I went to meet the Bellas. I had the VIP to meet the Bellas, obviously, because I always go meet the Bellas. Um, yeah. And then I was like, me and my buddy, um, we were like, hey, let's go get in this line. There's no waiting. And we didn't even know who we were in line for. We ran through the whole thing and like, five minutes it was alicia yeah. fox the good brothers and ron simmons <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's just so it, it seemed like it was a diva an nxt a current and a legend like it would be six in a row and you kind of just or four in a row and you kind of just went through it i thought that i thought personally that was the best way to do it instead of waiting in the long lines and then whatever it was more bang 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 but i'm just curious that the fighterman thing kind of makes me a little nervous that there is going to be more expensive and more of a money grab and more of like bigger names which which i understand but anyway yeah for sure 
enough of this bullshit. Let's get into the manly man shit. Well, you know, what's up with uh, what's up with your boy in uh, Bloodsport? So so Bloodsport was really the kickoff show. There was a show at noon or, or whatever, one o'clock, but this was really the first big show. So I'm going to run through a couple of the matches quick. I mean, there was like 12 matches on this show. I'm not going to bore you guys with all of it, but the matches, any match that I mention here, I think things that I really think you should check out, whether because they were like good comedy or whether they were just a really good match. Um, I'll run through some things. And I also tried to be a little unique with these as well. Like I'm not going to mention the 75 matches that Speedball Bailey had. Um, but I will mention though some things that, you know, may, may not have been great, but might be worth seeking out. Uh, so at Bloodsport, now in Bloodsport, we were at 4 o'clock start time, which was really like 5, I think, our time in, on the East Coast. Um, it was uh, Lenny Leonard and Rocky Romero on commentary, uh, which is awesome. I mean, my biggest gripe with GCW shows is I hate Kevin Gill. Uh, having Lenny Leonard there brought a different level, or it has, they've been doing it for a couple months now, brings a different level of professionalism to the broadcast. And Leonard and Ramiro were great. I mean, it felt like you were listening to like a shoot fight the entire time. Uh, some matches I thought that were cool in that show. Opening match was Masha Slamovich and Janai Kai. I know I'm a big Masha fan, but if you see this match, it, it was like four and a half minutes, and these two just stiffed the shit out of each other. And Masha came out looking like she just got out of a fight in the back herself, and she came in prepared for this. This Janai Kai girl is is pretty good. She she's called like the queen of kick or something. She she hits these outrageous kicks, and she's got like these long legs. She is she's gonna have a light, bright little future on the Indies. I think this was kind of a breakout weekend for her. Uh, Masha tapped her out in like 4:43. Um, another match that was cool on this show was uh, the John Hennigan, the former Johnny Morrison. Uh, was Johnny Bloodsport for this day. Uh, he came out and had a one-on-one match with Simon Gotch, the former VOD villain. I uh, won that one by submission in just under six minutes. I thought that, you know, Morrison looked really good in this spot. I didn't know how he would be because obviously he's known more for his acrobatic, like parkour style in WWE. But he, he worked a really good sound uh, Mac game with Simon Gotch, who Simon Gotch isn't going to wow anybody, but I mean, he's got that like Japanese style to him. Um, he wants to beat the shit out of most people he's in the ring with. And I thought Johnny did a hell of a job kicking, uh, sticking up with him here. And, and I thought that it ended up being a really fun match. And then the um, the main event, I'll run through real quick. Chris Dickinson was over Minoru Suzuki by by stoppage just under 10 minutes. A little disappointed in this match. I mean, it was they had good fire. They built it up early in the pre-show because Bloodsport does this thing when they bring out all the wrestlers that are going to be fighting. Um, and introduce them before the show, which I think is kind of an old school feel to it. Uh, Dickinson and Suzuki had to be separated on the walk to the back. So kind of became like a show long story with that. This was a rematch to, from Bloodsport 7 uh, this past October, I think it was, when Suzuki got the win in that one. And this is Dickinson's first win over Suzuki. Uh, it was kind of sudden, wasn't really um, one that I, I really think you have to go out of your way to see. But I think that that might be most mostly sapped by how fucking awesome the match before it was um, which i know you just watched uh the yeah. co-main event which was by far the best match in the show and maybe on all of the indies combined was john moxley over biff Busick by ko 10 minutes and 25 seconds so now this being one that you watched what were your initial uh take backs from this one so what was this 10 minutes if that it was 10 minutes and 25 seconds but okay. it was a complete war yeah, it was a complete war in the, like the last 
final stretch, you know, it's, it's your typical blood sport match where at first where it's just like, all right, they're good, you know, they're grappling. But I like that shit, you know what I mean? That stuff I like. So it was really good fun filler. But then all of a sudden it goes to the outside. They give him a vertical suplex, and then he just fucking, like, headbutts him and fucking Biff just blades the fuck up and gets this knot on his head, and he looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13, but on steroids. So. There's, it's so tough to beat the intensity of John Moxley in any match he's in these days. Yeah. But Biff figured out a way to do it. Um, it and was as a fucking baby face. Yes, it was as a baby face at the fire. It's like once he saw his blood, he went to a completely different level. And then after that happened, you're right. The first couple, maybe three minutes of this match were, were mat based and you know a lot of like it's, you it know cool. holds. It, it was, was cool. cool, but it was them trying to like like assert their will on each other. Um, he hits that suplex. Biff rolls to the outside. Probably did a blade job. I don't know what happened. Uh, but he comes yeah, back he, in the ring. Yeah, he comes back in the ring, and these two just started teeing off on each other. And this reminded me of like as crazy as it's gonna sound. Um, it reminded me of like old school like Joe Kobashi and and um, yeah. ROH because it was just that stiff and that intense. And you know there was there were stretches those last couple of minutes. You had no idea who was gonna win this. They made you think it was gonna be both and. You know, for Moxley came into this match with a beat up hamstring and you wouldn't have known it this week with the matches he had because he did not go soft with anything that he did. Um, And I mean, these two just beat the piss out of each other. The the match ended with Moxley hitting this just insane running knee and the ref called it for the stoppage. But then he picked he picked up Biff. They respected each other on the way out. I mean, this is one I'm going to go through at the end of the pod, the 10 matches I think you have to check out from Mania Weekend. This is on the upper tier. I think I have it around three or four when we get to it. But you have to, for 10 minutes, you're not going to find many 10-minute matches that are better than this one. And, and even the filler was fun. And it's just like, he, the three, um, Biff had three fucking hope spots. And they each one got more like, he got you more invested. And by the last one, like, Jesus fucking Christ, fuck John Moxley, Biff Busick, let's fucking go, dude. And then, this, the, like you just said, the ending was absolutely epic. I wouldn't know how to rate it. I wouldn't even want to rate it. It's just fantastic. I can, I'm a little jealous I didn't see it live. Bloodsport's a, sh- a show that I usually go to, and I didn't catch it live, and I regret it. It was just by circumstance I couldn't. So, so I would say about this Bloodsport shows, most of the time they don't come off that good on TV, and it's a no. super live experience. Absolutely. But this match, I mean, if this match was as good as it was on TV, I can't imagine how good it was if you were in the first row. Yeah, and uh, when I got to, when I got to Spring Break, I asked my buddy Ben, I was like, hey, how was that Moxley match? He was like, it's unbelievable. I doubt anything is going to beat it this weekend. If anything beats it this weekend, it's going to be fucking epic. And Ben watched a lot of fucking indie wrestling. So, uh, yeah, it was awesome. And I, here's the I, deal. I don't imagine it live. We're going to get into it, but I think we have some things that beat it for sure. So uh, and the next show was uh, was Thursday night. It was Joey Janela's Spring Break, Volume 6, Night 1. Um, Lenny Leonard and, and the aforementioned terrible Kevin Gill were on commentary for this one. Um, but Leonard kept him kept him in, in check. He didn't. Gill gets on these rants a lot of times, and he's just swearing for no reason. He doesn't do that with Leonard. Leonard, like I said, brings some uh, professionalism to the broadcast. Uh, the four matches we're going to run through with this one. First and foremost, Blake Christian over A.R. Fox in 13 minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, this match came off on TV awesome. A.R. Fox, like I said on my preview last week, is the most underappreciated wrestler in the indies, in my opinion. Um, the guy has the ability to botch, botch something one second and completely make you forget about it the next. Uh, every match he's in is fun. He finds ways to, even when he's putting someone over, he makes himself look amazing and makes his opponent look amazing. 
Uh, at home, I love this match. I thought it, I hoped it went a little bit longer, uh, but 13 was probably the right right with the uh, near falls area. It was probably the right distance. What was your take on this one live? It was in a tough spot because live that three way tag was just like insane, an insane botch like kerfuffle of this like nonsense but like everyone it was the first show of the match everyone was excited to be there the fucking crowd was buzzing the entrances were electric it was a fucking like texas tornado fucking brawl and like um it was first of all it was the briscoes versus mance warner and uh what the fuck's his name um matthew justice justice excuse me justice yeah. versus um mdk and his partner tremont who didn't show up so literally it was just kind of hilarious to watch MDK just sit there and watch these got these teams absolutely destroy ringside for five minutes. And then it just, it got, like you said, it got bloody, it got blotchy, it got rough. And it was just like, I think I got a concussion watching it. So, <laughs> And that wasn't even nearly the roughest match on the show, no. um, as, as we'll get into a little bit with the main but event. But it was the but first one. Right? It was. So it wakes so the crowd the up and got one. everybody going. Nothing, would, nothing pumps a crowd up more than that Nick Gage entrance. No. So I wouldn't call the match very good or whatever, but it was just like electric to be. It's like, like you said earlier, much better live than at home, especially for this match. Um, But this, you know, the Blake match, the crowd, the reason I brought that up because the crowd had come down and like I got into the, the Fox and Blake match, but not everyone else did until the end. It was wrestled really well and um, it was super fun. It should be on your top 10 list, but just as from a live, live aspect, it's, it was a little, I don't want to say underwhelming because it was a good match and I appreciate it, but and Fox worked his fucking ass off and Blake's solid. You know what I mean? So Yeah, and I mean, kind of what's what we were saying with Bloodsport, I don't think that that gauge uh, six man or whatever it was came off that good on TV at all. Um, yeah. In fact, I didn't even list it in the four matches that I'm trying to talk yeah. about with this. Um, Slade comes out and just starts being a fucking lunatic um, like he is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought that that Fox and Christian, I mean, at home, I don't feel that same energy like you do live. So yeah. that's why this is such a good conversation because that's why watch, yeah. watching an indie show at home is fucking opposite, completely opposite of how it is live a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I thought this match was off the charts at home, you know, I can totally see why it wasn't a, a, as much live. Um, another match that we'll go through here is Joey Janela over X-Pac in 19 minutes and 19 seconds. A really fun match. Um, X-Pac was hurt coming in. I'm surprised they went as long as they did. But it was it kind of fit the mold of the, um, you know, epic Janela spring break matches. And I, when I say epic, I don't really mean like that it's the top rate work rate but it has like this fun story to it it has like the table spots it it fit in with like his other matches at spring break with like sasuke and and everybody else uh so janetti you know things like that they're not they're not coming with the crazy work rate but you're gonna leave talking about it um and i really love the Shawn michaels finish with like it was like flair and and michaels from mania 25 Mm -hmm. um with the super kick and the pin uh, really fun match on TV. Crowd was super into it. Everybody wanted to see this match. This is probably the match people were the most pumped up for coming in. Uh, how was this one live? Uh, fun. It seemed maybe a, a CH long, but it, it it was fine. It was yeah, like you said with the style. I, I, it reminded me of like an indie version of like WWE style in a way. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? for sure. If, if that makes sense to you. You know, yeah. X Pac being, you know, a veteran, and that's a very safe style for him to work. I thought it shined X Pac up really well, and Janelo is such a good heel. 
you know, just for someone with his name on the marquee and to be booed out of the building is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, Janela's heel work in the last month in GCW have been amazing. Pretty much started when he turned on Xbox to get to this match. And yeah. um, clusterfuck, he, he ran through it. I'll, I'll talk about that again in the in the little bit. But um, fun match. I mean, this was definitely cool live. I, they didn't do the run-ins on this one like I thought they would, to kind of harpen back to Hammerstein. Yeah. Uh, but I'm kind of glad they didn't really need it. It was entertaining enough without them. Yeah, it was a very good, well-wrestled match. I was, let's just say this. I was At the end of the match, I was very happy for X-Pac because I could feel that he was satisfied. You know for I mean? sure. And, I mean, for someone that came in with the injury that he had, I, I don't even remember what it was. It might have been, like, his bicep, tricep, bicep, bicep or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, it looked like shit. He finally showed a picture after the match. But um, he worked through that, and I got to give him props for that. A guy his age, that can't be fun. Um, the third, the second to last match in the co-main event spot this one was crazy. Uh, this was John Moxley successfully defending his GCW title uh, by defeating the uh, ultra, the extreme champion, AJ Gray, uh, who was cashing in his, uh, I don't even know what they call it, the brass ring that he won at the Hammerstein. This one went 22 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, I thought this one was a little long. Uh, they kind of stalled a little bit at times, but. Once it got going, it was pretty fun. Uh, AJ Gray is a good performer. Uh, Moxley was working this one hurt. And for him to go 22 minutes in this style of a match with AJ Gray, I was kind of surprised. How'd this one come off live? Uh, it went long. They could have got to the ending a lot quicker. Um, I don't think anyone could have slept through this match in the crowd. Let's put it that way. It was Everyone was pretty much into it. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. But anyways, um, it was super fun. Um, but it's kind of it felt like the longest match in the show, as it was. But, um, you know, it was Mo- like Moxley. It's a fucking brawl. AJ Gray was perfect for, with, for, for him with that. And then it, like, turned into a death match at the end with, like, the death match on deck, which we'll get to in a second. But I was like, oh, this is going to take away from the death match. But in all reality, it really didn't. <laughs> because No. Because there's, like, levels of this craziness. But, yeah, if Moxley's banged up, and for him to go almost 25 minutes, with don't, if, if there's a difference between AJ Gray and fucking Biff Busick. Biff Busick, Moxley is the aggressor, and Busick has taken the abuse. With AJ Gray, fucking Moxley is still, like, he's the one taking the brunt. AJ Gray's a fucking big-ass dude. He's like the size of a fucking NFL, he's like the size of a fucking guard, or really built like one anyways, you know what I mean? So he's like, he's running, they're running through spots, and he's eating Gray's body and taking all the cushions and stuff. Moxley brought it this weekend, I'm, pr- I'm super proud for him, and I don't know what his future is, but I think that he could, if this is the, like, his, his indie run is coming towards the end, if he signs a new, w, if he goes back to WWE, or if he signs an AEW deal where they kind of, like, t- tie him up more, I feel like he has reached the satisfaction of like where he wanted to, what he wanted to do or whatever. So, and I, I felt that with him at the end of this match too. It was just like, I think that he was surprised how much uh, AJ brought it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and like to your point, you watch Moxley matches in AEW right now, whether it's a Yuta, whether it's like Max Caster or whatever, whoever he's had matches with, you're right. He's always the aggressor. He's always the kind of the big guy in those battles. And seeing him in this match, I completely see what you're saying. Um, AJ Gray yeah. was was opposite there. And AJ Gray, this was his style. And even though Moxley kind of did this stuff long before him, he hasn't been doing it a ton lately. And you wouldn't have known it in this match. I mean, Moxley did a good job. And again, this was maybe four hours after that match with, match with Biff. And you would have never known that this guy was working with a hamstring injury. 
And he's the, and he got the he was the one that got the fucking juice. And he's going jumping in bar fire. He's out of his fucking mind. Yeah, he's a lunatic. It was just a little too long. They could have cut it in like I don't want to say in half, but they could have cut it a third out of it. Fifteen minutes, yeah. I think this thing goes fifteen. You're you're looking at it a lot differently. Um and the main event, which is two of the craziest fuckers on the planet. I'm glad you got to experience this one live. Uh, John Wayne Murdoch won the GCW Ultraviolent Championship uh, by defeating Alex Cologne in 13 minutes and 50 seconds. I will not give this justice talking about it from TV, so I'm going to completely put this one in your hands. Um, brutal as an underwear, you know, is 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 not enough to describe it. Um, it's just insane, and it was coming off like the last. Five minutes of Moxley was like a literal death match with fucking tables and fucking barbed wire and barbed wire and light tubes and fucking. But these guys are just fucking insane. Now, Rossi, at the end where fucking Murdoch or where Cologne does the dive to the outside, like I wanted to look into that. Did he really hurt his shoulder? Or I haven't. I've looked into it. I haven't seen shit. But I mean, he's not booked for anything anytime soon. So, and they, they really, they've been putting Murdoch in these matches with like Janela and other people, you know, in coming weeks. So mm-hmm. I think that he might be taking over some of Cologne's bookings here. Uh, cause, cause Murdoch's been booked more so for GCW than he normally would be. Uh, granted he's this champion, but he's not defending the, t- the title in these matches either. So I think that the clone injury is legit. Cologne will never tell you is it a broken arm because that'll make him look like a quote unquote bitch. Um, but you know, Cologne will come back way sooner than he should, so they can have the trilogy of this. And I mean, somebody will get seriously hurt in that match too. So, um, you're right. That one spot when he, you know, probably broke his shoulder or broke his arm or did something. And then Murdoch hits him with like a completely unnecessary boot to the injured spot. It's like, holy shit. These two guys are lunatics. Yeah. It's like. What do you think it is? Do you think it's a respect thing? Or do you, like, because it, it, when you're watching this shit, you're like, you put, you, you know, you let your guard down. You're like, wow, these motherfuckers hate each other. I don't <laughs> think these two like each other. Um, you, you could feel that. Like, I don't yeah. know Mark or whatever, but you could feel that these two, like, legit don't like each other. And I don't know if they're, like, super good at it or, if, like, it felt real. I don't think Cologne likes many people. Um, but, I mean, Murdoch's the, the, was the ICW guy. Uh, and, and thinking he was the best in the world at deathmatch wrestling, and Cologne was doing it in GCW, thinking he was the best in the world, and both heard their fan bases chirping, and they both had a match on on January first that was, you know, not as brutal as this, but it was pretty fucking gross at the same time. Um, and Cologne kind of worked him worked himself into a shoot in that one too, and I think this was Murdoch just reciprocating. I mean, they're either really good at what they do and they make us think this shit, or they legitimately hate each other and try to kill each other when they're out there. And, you know, GCW, you never know what the truth is. Uh, so, yeah, my uh, thing is, you get desensitized to this deathmatch stuff. And I haven't seen one live or really in general since the pre-pandemic. And it was a stretch where we saw so much of them. I was like, all right, enough, enough of these fucking things. You know what I mean? Like, how much can I, you know, first of all, it's not really my style, but I, I but I super respect it and I, I do enjoy it. But for like for this one, especially coming off the Moxley thing, I was just like, man, these fucking guys are psychos. Like, oh, yeah, they're <laughs> different level completely. Like you could plug both of these guys into like uh, like the old school death matches back in the 90s in Japan. And these two would fit right in when you can't say that about like a Slade or like yeah. guys like that, you know. Um, but you know, I thought overall night one of spring break was a pretty fun show. Uh, it didn't feel like some of the spring breaks of old, but 
I still thought that they ended up putting together a pretty good show. Um, and then you've been to a couple spring break, spring break lives before this. Do you kind of feel that same way? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. This was probably the most fun I had, but it's also been a while. Um, like the first one was fun for like just the whole experience. New Orleans, remember I had to leave during the fucking PCO match. So I was back after picking up the family at the hotel, uh, at the airport and they dropped me back. And of course I miss Walter and PCO, but overall that was, that was super fun. They seem long. This one in the New York was like awesome. Like night one was fine. Night the cluster talk fuck was super fun, but this one felt didn't feel long. So by by it not feeling long, that's I, I take that as a good thing. Yeah, I think that's the two night. I think the two night thing works for them as well. Yeah, especially with the cluster fuck, you kind of just need to leave that on its own. And I think this was definitely good. Um, okay, so the next show was the same time as Spring Break. I was thinking it started an hour later over at WrestleCon, and it was the Mark Hitchcock Memorial Super Show. Uh, this was Ian Riccoboni of ROH and Veda Scott, who, you know, formerly of ROH. They did this one commentary, you know, completely different style with these two than what you hear with GCW, even with Lenny Leonard there. Um, Riccoboni's awesome. And I think Veda isn't always good, but next to someone like Riccoboni, she shined. Uh, I thought the highlight of the show was the commentary. Uh, but not only that, the first match of the show was Bandito against Speedball Mike Bailey. Um, they went 16 and 16 minutes and 21 seconds. Bandito got the W, which was his first in three attempts to beat Bailey um, in their time with matches against each other, mostly PWG, I think. Did you get a chance to watch this one? No, I didn't. I had time to watch one match and I wanted to be Biff. Yeah, no, understandable. Definitely check it out. I mean, I think by my eyes, this was the best match of the weekend. Um, I mean, these oh, wow. two. These two are so clean at everything they do. Speedball was the performer of the weekend for me. Everywhere he worked, he was great. He was the best on all of those shows. His, his, well, except for maybe Bloodsport, he was kind of in a shitty spot at Bloodsport. Um, but this match was so good. Riccoboni was on his game. Bandito was, this was great Bandito. Sometimes Bandito's botchy. He was not that at all here. Um, speedball is just so crisp with everything he does, you know, the kicks, the flips, everything. Uh, this match was unfucking believable. Uh, I can't put this one over enough. I think that you put this, this match in the middle of a, of a wrestle kingdom show. It fits right in. That's how good this match was. Um, the crowd was great being the opener. Uh, I think everybody that's listening to this has to go out of their way to, to watch this match. It was that good. Uh, so you didn't get a chance to see it. I won't go too long with it, but definitely seek it out. Uh, this is one that I think everybody's got to see. Yeah. Um, you didn't see, you didn't see Speedball at all this weekend, huh? I didn't see him once. He was wrestled yeah. eight times. I didn't see him once. Yeah, because he was on the second Spring Break show. All right, now the, the second match I'll go through here was Mia Yim and Athena, which is the former Ember Moon. Um, they went about 13 minutes and 40 seconds. Pretty fun match for these two. Uh, Mia Yim was working baby. Athena was kind of working tweener to start, but she started to go dashly at the end and worked heel, which is different than how you probably would have thought about this being based off their WWE runs. But really fun match. I mean, I think these two are two really good women workers that should be in better spots than they are right now. The fact that, you know, Khan has thrown money at so many people and, you know, come over to AEW, but he hasn't sniffed around these two yet, which he may have, and we just don't know it. Uh, but these two are really good wrestlers for for female workers. And, you know, they, they might not have the coolest and, and best personalities, but they'll come in and they'll kick your ass on almost every show that they're on. So 
I think that these two have have bright futures with them. It's just going to be interesting to see where they where they end up. And what what are your thoughts on these two as performers? Uh, you know, Amber, Athena, Amber Moon, I think has a little more upside, but I think both of them could be in a mid card of any women's division or, you know, Athena should, could be a main eventer at AEW or, or impact regardless. Um, but medium, she could be a mid carder in, in SmackDown, Raw, NXT, impact, AEW, wherever she goes, she, she should find a role. She's super talented. Her best work was probably back in TNA, but overall she's, she's solid, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe she'll end up with her husband in AEW at some point. Um, and Athena, too. I mean, you got to figure she'll be there at some point. But even if it just impacts, they'll, they'll do something with her. Um, then we will go to Minoru Suzuki over Biff Busick in 14 minutes and 39 seconds. Now, poor Biff, man. He had to go through that brutal match with Moxley at about maybe 6 p.m. And this was a match that went live at about maybe 10.30 p.m. Um, and, I mean, last thing you want after a match of that caliber with Moxley is seeing Minoru Suzuki across the ring from you. Uh, but he was bleeding maybe eight minutes in because he was never able to calm that shit down from earlier. Um, and, I mean, this was, I think, Suzuki's best match of the weekend. He kind of had some duds. Um, he kind of sleptwalked through some of them, um, kind of to what I was saying with that Dickinson match earlier. I don't want to call it a dud, but it wasn't what you thought it would be. But Suzuki, as as a ring general in this match, kind of beating the shit out of Biff and having Biff continue to want more was awesome. There was one spot in the match where he turned his back to Biff as if to say, hey, fuck you, hit me. And Biff didn't do it, and then he just turned around and slapped him in the face. And I thought it was a really cool spot. Um, he won it with a, with a stalling gotch pile driver late. Um, definitely worth checking out. I'll have it in my top ten later. And then the match I want to kind of – buzz through so they do this gimmick when you know at wrestlecon every year they do a five on five you know 10-man match so this year it was announced like monday before the show that it was going to be uh onita yes that onita against pco in a pick your partners 10-man so this let me let me just time frame this out for you a little bit okay so pco comes out he gets in the ring and then they don't he, – he's not announcing his team. They just play the music of his partners. So in order, this is how they come out. Enzo. <laughs> Enzo grabs the mic, and he starts cutting his promo as if PCO is big cast. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty entertaining. He looked at PCO, and he's like, wow, this guy doesn't want to mess around. It was a pretty entertaining spot. Next comes out Jimmy Wang Yang, uh, full cowboy regalia, like he just came off of SmackDown in 2006. And then next out, Barry Horowitz. Now, Horowitz can barely walk. And I'm not like, Onita looked better than Horowitz did. Let's put it that way. And then um, the last member of their team was Dirty Dango. So I think the idea here was that it's all former WWE guys and just different eras. Uh And it was just a goofy team um, with PCO leading. It was pretty funny. And then the other side, Onita comes out. Well, he comes out last in this scenario, but... Out comes Juice Robinson, then or the Rock and Roll Express, and like the full Rock and Roll Express, and then uh, Cole Cabana comes out, which Ian Riccoboni lost his mind over because that was his former commentary partner, and then uh, Onita comes out next. Onita ends up picking up the pinfall over Dango, maybe 12, 12 minutes and nineteen seconds in, I think it was, um, and then he missed him after the missed missed him before the pin. But then he missed it, Jimmy Wang Yang, after the after the match, and then threw him in the crowd like he was a piece of dirt. 
But the, my favorite part of the entire thing is Dango standing in the ring after the match, and he's not like celebrating or anything because he just lost. And then out of the blue, his WWE theme hits, and out waltzes Summer Rae, <laughs> who was obviously his former um, WWE um, you know, dance partner. Yeah. So she gets in the ring. They do their dance. She's disgusted by the by the mist that's on him. Uh, she looked she looked incredible um, as you'd expect her to. Uh, they did their stupid dance, and then they go to the back. It almost felt like, because there's rumors of Fandango stepping away from wrestling, it almost felt like kind of like a send-off to him. And I'm curious to see if that continues, you know, where he works, like beyond and all the places he normally works. So uh, just a fun match. You know, if you're watching the WrestleCon Super Show, definitely don't glaze over this one. Uh, then the next show was ROH Super Card of Honor. So this was a typical ROH show, except now they're owned by Tony Khan. So you started to see a lot of that AEW influence being, you know, whether it's guys from the AEW like mid card or dark card that are mixed into this show. Um, it looked it looked and felt like an ROH show. But as the show went on, it started to feel more like an AEW show, which honestly is not a bad thing. ROH kind of needed that direction. Mm-hmm. Opener was Swerve Strickland um, defeating Alex Zane in 11 minutes and 40 seconds. Really fun opener. Uh, Swerve's awesome. Zane's awesome. Uh, both have that, you know, probably worked and trained together a lot in NXT when they were both there. Um, definitely go check this one out. This was fun. Another match on the show, Jay Lethal over Lee Moriarty. Now, this started as like a respect thing. But then Lethal hit him in the nuts and pinned him. Um, so I hit a lethal injection. That was 14 minutes and 50 seconds in. That one was, you know, kind of a direction that we'll kind of lead to later in the show with Lethal doing the heel turn. Then the match that everybody's talking about, FTR defeated the Briscoes um, in 27 minutes and 25 seconds in an epic, epic FTR tag match. Uh, This one's been built up for the better part of nine months now. Uh, They finally went down, finally happened, and the match was absolutely incredible. Whatever you expected to have in this match, it happened. Um, everybody in wrestling, anybody that considers themselves a wrestling fan has to go out of their way to fight in this match. FTR is not my favorite team in the world, but them as baby faces right now is pretty, pretty goddamn entertaining. Um, and, and the Briscoes sh- really shine this weekend. And this is the day after they had that brutal match that you watched. <laughs> um, so they, these guys definitely brought it this week. Um, now, post-match, the Bucks came out. Bucks and started beating up the Briscoes themselves and almost like favored like an alliance with FTR, but FTR told them to go F themselves and they set up the match that happened on Dynamite this week, which FTR retained. Uh, so I'm very interested to see where FTR goes as a babyface team. If they're going to continue to be positioned heavily on Dynamite, or if they're pretty much going to be a, like a flag carrier for ROH moving forward. Uh, but was there a lot of buzz around Dallas about this match after it happened? Oh uh, yeah, I think, the people that I were with were like checking their phones and were like, oh, wow, this fucking slapped or, you know, whatever. You know, so I guess and then really not even around Dallas, just everywhere afterwards. You know, what I mean, it's probably the most talked about non WrestleMania match coming out of this weekend, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. One thousand percent. And as it should be, I mean, 27 minutes of FTR and the Briscoes, that's impossible to not be. And I was going to say, for 27 minutes, did it overstay his welcome at all? Not really. It didn't feel like 27 minutes at all. It felt I it felt like. Watch, uh, but I, I just didn't have time before. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. Um, and then the main event was Jonathan Gresham retaining his ROH title and, and the unification match because they both had claim to the title over Bandito. Uh, that was 24 55. 
This one kind of overstated its welcome a little bit. I don't know if it was because I saw Bandito have a better match with Speedball the day before, um, which is weird to say with Gresham, but the, the styles, while they worked, they didn't work as crisp as the style with, with Speedball did the day prior. Um, so that just comes, that's a victim of just, just being too much wrestling. Um, and you see a guy have one good match, it's going to be tough for him to live up to the next one. Uh, but then the story in this one really came in the post-match with uh, Jay Lethal came out and he said, you know, I trained you, Jonathan Gresham. You're, you know, you deserve to give me, or I deserve to get a title shot at that belt next. Sanjay Dutt comes out. as kind of like the backstage guy to try to separate them. But then they both turn around and start beating the shit out of Gresham. So Bandito's already long gone. And then the epic ROH return of Samoa Joe happened. Uh, music hits. He comes out, uh, clears the ring of everybody, shakes Gresham's hand. That's kind of how they went off. Rick Abani closed the show saying, oh, he'll be on Dynamite this week. And he ended up having the match with uh, Max Caster on Dynamite this week in Boston. Um, so really interesting to see where they go with this. Um, if Joe's going to be a mainstay in ROH or if this was just kind of a means to have a shocking debut to then go to AEW. Um, but I'm, ha- I'm happy to see Joe back in wrestling. I definitely think that, you know, wrestling's better when Samoa Joe's working weekly. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he was He looked great last night. He did. He did. He, he looked like a little bit better shape than he was at the end of his NXT run. Um, then I'm going to kind of quickly buzz through GCW Spring Break Night 2, which was super late night um, after Ring of Honor. Uh, a couple matches to go through. Chris Dickinson with Missy Hyatt in his corner um, was over, uh, won a victory over Matt Cardona at Chelsea Green. Finish came when um, Green tried to hit Dickinson with, with Missy Hyatt's purse. Missy Hyatt kind of ripped it back away from her. He ended up clotheslining Chelsea, dumped Chelsea on top of Cardona after giving Cardona the um, razor's edge, or I forgot what he calls it. Um, stacked them on top of each other like Reigns did at Mania last year and pinned Cardona with Chelsea on top of him. And then um, the really fun match. I mean, it was like a, any Matt Cardona match felt like a WWE-style brawl. Uh, really fun, worth checking out. It was cool seeing Dickinson in that kind of format. Yeah. Uh, then Deppin over Biff Music, another good match. Biff had three bangers this weekend, lost all three of them, um, shows the guy's ready to do business. Deppin looked awesome here. Um, Deppin, another one that I think is criminally underutilized in the wrestling world these days. A fun match, although be it almost too goofy, Minoru Suzuki defeated Effie. Now, <laughs> Effie was beating Effie, um, you know, doing his flirtatious style, and Suzuki wanted nothing to do with it. Um, finish came when Effie actually kissed Minoru Suzuki. And Suzuki flipped out and beat the shit out of him and pinned him. Um, and then the whole time, the best part of this entire thing was Suzuki was walking around ringside, wiping his mouth on fans' T-shirts because he was just so disgusted that this man kissed him. Um, it was pretty funny. Uh, the match was goofy as all hell. I kind of wish they did more with Suzuki, but if this was a way to kind of get Effie over for another run, which looks like it's going to be Jeff Jarrett still based off some vignettes that are out there, um, Effie probably should have been in this spot, I guess. Although I kind of wish Suzuki was with like, I don't know, maybe Cardona. I, I don't know, something different. And then, um, the clusterfuck 90 minutes, probably 45 minutes too long. Uh, Jan- the pre-show, uh, was Janela the, the show started with Janela doing the Vince promo when he, when he wanted to kill, uh, kill it off WWE with the NWO saying that, you know, the clusterfuck ran its course, and now he's going to kill what he created by winning it. Um, so he opened it. Um, he was in it for the bulk of it before he got eliminated. 
uh, by Nick Wayne, the 16 year old. Uh, but, you know, opened with Jen Heller and Buff Bagwell, who Buff Bagwell was legitimately on crutches. Gets in the gets in the ring. Janela super kicked him and pinned him because um, you can do pins in this. A uh, couple couple other cool spots. Maven. So there were s- six or seven women in a row that came out and they just started the circle. So it kind of harpened back to that New York clusterfuck when the women came out and destroyed everybody. They were going to do that again, but then the guys guys joined forces, and then Maven came out and just drop kicked about eight people in a row and then just left because they announced before the match if you leave the building you're eliminated. So. Maven just wanted to throw some drop kicks and get the hell out of there. The story of this match were really two of them. There was this guy that nobody had heard of called Early Morning Guy Steel. Now, he was in a full, like, fat suit with overalls and, like, a prosthetic face on it, which instantly made you figure out, okay, who the hell is this guy and why is he hiding who he is? Did some investigative work on this. And I found out that there's about three people that know who this was. Chris Dickinson. Chris Dickinson, Joey Janela, and Brett Lauderdale. Okay. They won't tell anybody else who it was. And the entire guy's run in the match was with Janela. So clearly Janela knew who this was. Um, and, you know, they talked about how they were going to run through this this portion of the match. Um, he hit a beautiful 450 at, before he got eliminated himself. So I started thinking, who would you want to hide from being known at being at an event like this and you got to think it's somebody that's contracted right mm-hmm. who hits a really good 450 in wwe mustafa ali okay so mustafa ali hits his 450 and when he i looked it up on youtube when he hits his 450 he lifts his arm and his arms up to his head and then does his flip is that what the fat suit guy did yeah, early morning guy steel lifted his arms above his head before he did the 450 and it was just as pretty as any Mustafa Ali 450 is. So I'm not saying it's Mustafa Ali, but I can fully understand why Mustafa Ali would not want people to know he was wrestling somewhere else. Or they, or he would. <laughs> exactly. So take that for what it's worth. Um, if I was a gambler, I would say that this was Mustafa Ali. If it ends up being that it was him, you heard it here first, everybody. You heard All it right. here first. Um, and then the other spot I want to go through, Sean Ross Sapp comes out. Oh, how was that, by the way? I meant to ask you. Oh, it was hilarious. He comes out really? with a microphone, and he says, you know, I'm coming out to the ring, and everybody has to give me $5 because now I've put this match behind a paywall. <laughs> so right. then he's playing heel. He's saying, you know, everybody, I just left a real wrestling show run by the great Tony Khan, and now I'm at this dump which is loaded with GCW wrestlers that have, you know, either been fired or will be fired by the great Tony Khan in the future. He's just playing the heel um, gets in the ring. And I want to say it was Josh Barnett in the ring at the time. Oh God, he was in this clusterfuck. He was in it. He, another one that eliminated himself. Um, he, I want to say he was in, Oh no, Barnett got pinned or tapped out by somebody. I forget. So it was somebody that sap did not want to be in the ring with was distracted that out of the blue, Denise Salcedo runs in the ring and eliminates Sap. She wasn't in the match, but she eliminated Sap. So then Sap crawls to the back, head between his legs. It was a pretty pretty cute spot. Um, so that's that's pretty much all I'm going to run through for indies. Um, we'll quickly run through NXT because I want to hear your take on a lot of it. Um, so North American ladder match. I thought this match was super fun live. Um, won by Cameron Grimes. Tons of outside interference. Pretty much everybody had some sort of manager in their corner. 
Um, yeah. Really, really cool spot with Electro Lopez jumping off the top rope. What was your take on this one live? Was it as good as it was on TV? Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, it's not the New Orleans one, but I still think it was a very, 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 very good ladder match. I haven't rewatched it, so I can't. I don't want to like, you know, give it a rating or whatever. But live, it was super fun. A lot of spots that were building up. None of them didn't not make sense. The, like you said, with the, the manager stuff was fun. You know, it was good shine. It was good filler in the match. It was building good stuff. Um, and just really, everyone ha- shined. Everyone has the Waller had the spot. Uh, uh, Solo Sokoa had the spot where he did the later on where Rick Boogs blew his knee out. He did the same thing, but didn't blow his knee out. He kind of botched that. Uh, I can't think of everything. Jesus Christ. Uh, everything was built around Cameron Grimes. He, yeah, he might have disappeared a little bit, but overall, he still. It was his match to win. It was his moment, and it delivered. And it was the best way to get the belt off Carmelo Hayes. And kind of now he can go move back up the card with Trick, and they can kind of maybe move towards a Braun Breaker match later in the summer. But overall, I thought it was a fun, fun match. And you know, I would say it was it was probably probably better than the AEW ladder match from I don't know a month or so ago. But it wasn't wasn't as good as your typical typical like Money in the Bank or even your typical North American ladder match. So, but overall, very very good. It's a great, you know, you could say it was great. Yeah, there were some green guys in it for sure. Yeah. Um, but overall, I thought it was overly entertaining. It wasn't botchy really at all. Might have been one or two, but there isn't any ladder match you watch. Um, then some other quick results on this. You know, Tony D'Angelo beat Tommaso Ciampa. Then Triple H came out. How was the Triple H pop live? Unbelievable. It was great. It's the first time he was live since the news broke, really. Um. I know we had some big Triple H fans in our booth, so they they loved it. I loved it as a Triple H fan, uh, and um, it you know it probably was you know I, I could see a lot of people getting emotional on it about it, and it was a really strong moment. And it was it, and honestly, I'm super happy for Chiampa too. It was it was yeah, it was about Triple H, but Triple H made it about Chiampa. So for for you to have hopes, you know, you're always you know, worried about guys going up. But that gives me a little hope that Champ is going to line himself up pretty good on the main roster. Because Triple H seems to be involved in the main roster. He was all around, you know, the build of WrestleMania and the structure and all that stuff for the card this weekend. So I have high hopes for Champ. And it was a great send-off for him. And it was a great closure to the old NXT, too. So overall, it's a fantastic moment. If you haven't seen yeah. it. If you're an old NXT fan, if you're a Triple H fan, if you're if you're just a fan, you just go see that. And Mike, did you know that was fucking on Peacock ads? If you if you have premium Peacock, that was the only way you saw that live. I didn't know that. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah. Because I have I have the one with without the ads because the ads piss me off. Yeah. Um, if, if you have if you have the ads, it it cut to it cut to the the ad uh, it cut to the ads just as that started. What I really liked about um. What I really liked about this match was, you know, Ciampa hitting the Gargano escape at one yeah. point, kind of kind of harping back to Johnny. And it was just cool for him to get the send off. I think D'Angelo has a lot of work to do, but I can definitely see the potential with him. I'll harp on this a little bit later, but it just seems like the guys that were are moving up took it safe this tonight or that that night, which is smart, which is fine. Yeah. So right to that point, someone that looks like after NXT this week is coming up, Gunther. Um, beat LA Knight in 1025. Now, Meltzer reviewed this as maybe Walter's worst match he's ever seen, while still saying it was very good. And that just shows how good Gunther slash Walter is. Um, and I kind of agreed with him. You know, nothing. I mean, it, it wasn't like it felt like uh, 
uh, opener to a Tuesday NXT show type of match. It just didn't wow me. Yeah, it felt like the the, the start of the third hour of Monday Night Raw to me. You know, it was just a solid 10-minute match, two and three-quarter stars. Um, it seems like they were super safe. No one wanted to get hurt, but they wanted to go out there and have a good match, and that's what they did. Um, I, I'm curious if that was also a little test of Walter, too. Let's take away your bag of tricks. Let's see what you got. LA Knight's a, a main roster-ready guy, so let's put you out there on a TV Raw-style match and see how it's received. And, you know, it was for Meltzer to say it was his worst match, while it being still very good, that's pretty good signs for Walter. And I'm curious how he's going to wind up on SmackDown because that's the rumor. Yeah, and, I mean, after losing a Braun on, on NXT this week, it yeah. definitely looks like he's coming up. So With the um, Imperial Mangle, too. Yep. If that was a test for him, I think he passed. Let's put it that way. Yeah, in a, in a weird way, because you think that it would be a failure because he didn't go out there and have a fucking five-star, four-star classic that you usually get out of him. But I don't think it was designed to be that. I think it was designed to be a test to be like, all right, how can you film mother- TV, motherfucker? Let's, you know, and and Knight's a bigger guy. It's not like he's going out there with Pete Dunn, Tyler Bate, Gar- Garano, or whoever. He's going out there with, or excuse me, Chiampa. He's going out there with a guy pretty much his size or if not a tick smaller. And he's going to go face the worlds of Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns, hopefully. So that's another way to look at that, too. All right, let's go see where you can't go out and kick a cruiserweight's ass that can fucking make movement all around you and bump their ass off and in a glutton for punishment. So and that's not a knock on, on Gunther. It's it's just the reality of what his future is going to be. I will just say coming out of this, too, um, Knight. Knight looked like he was pissed heading to the back. He didn't go through the entrance ramp. He went around it, and he's the only one that went around it. He looked like his head was hanging, and he looked and he was like fast walking out. So I took a I took that as like, hmm, did he just find something out, or you know, is that something on? Did something go wrong, or is that just how he does it every night? I'm not sure. So I would just be weary of that for for Knight, and, and more curious or whatever. Sure, maybe they cut the time on them or something. Maybe um, something stupid, I don't even know, you know? And then they gave you the shocking finish to the show when Dolph Ziggler retained over Braun Baker. I won't go nuts with this because they made this null and void 48 hours later when they gave Brad Breaker the title on Raw. Now, it all kind of makes sense now that we look at it in the big picture. They wanted to yeah. get Breaker the title in front of 2 million people um, like they had on Raw as opposed to probably 400,000 or 500,000 that were watching this thing live. Um, if that, that's probably a generous number. Um, and then they, you know, then they, they go to the Walter match the next night to kind of get that match out of the way before Walter comes up or Gunther. Um, so, you know, not much to really talk about with this because they rendered it useless within 48 hours, much like they did the women's tag titles. Um, when Raquel and, and Dakota quickly lost them back to toxic attraction on Tuesday as well. Um, and that's going to happen with the NXT tag titles too. Um, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it, but obviously we're going to have a little bit of a new NXT tag champion next week, whether it's Waller and, and his big Indian guy or not. Um, it looks like that change is coming next week as well. Um, so now let's get through <laughs> mania. Let's get through. Yeah, no, let's get through a little bit of mania. Um, we won't go too in depth here, but I mean, Saturday was all about Bianca, Becky, and Cody and, and Seth. Uh, Cody and Seth was an awesome match. Bianca and Belair also – Bianca and Belair. Bianca and Becky also over-delivered, in my opinion, told a really good story throughout that match. Um, and they didn't do any bullshit. They went to the finish when they should have. Uh, Cody and Rollins was like that upper-tier Triple H-style WWE match, which, you know, Cody would probably blush if I if he heard me say that. Um both of them are awesome. Now, tell me about Cody's entrance live. 
Uh, well, if we're going in chronological order, Belair and Lynch was probably my match of the weekend. That's the only match that I've gone back and like really watched. I've had WrestleMania on in the background a few times. That just shows how much of a nerd I am. But that's while I'm busy or doing stuff with the family or whatever. But um, Belair and Becky was the only match that I really sat down and rewatched. I had that four and a half, Mike. I thought that was the match of the weekend for WWE. Um, the match of the weekend that I've watched. I loved it live. I loved it on rewatch. It told a great story. I loved how they were, so, how Becky was so urgent and how Be- Belair was such a, you know, counter, countering her and being ready for her early. It was like Steamboat and Savage on a low key way early on with all the reversals and the near falls. Um, and then it just built. I love the count out spot right before because, you know, going in, you had those rumors of looting that you know this match might get bumped back a little bit it might get moved to wrestlemania you know might not get a conclusion of wrestlemania backlash are they really going to have this super great match and have this busted out count out and it just in that that spot just really got me and then just the urgency of both women after that and the really the urgency and insecurity of becky throughout the whole match was fantastic becky really is the best storyteller on the women's division side. Um, she might not be the best athlete, but she's the best storyteller. And she and she's not a bad athlete or a bad wrestler at all. Um, I'm super happy that that story worked out. And I'm super happy Belair had her two back-to-back WrestleMania moments. A lot of equity in her. She can, you know, she's going to start doing stuff. And she feels like a bigger star coming out of that, even, even after coming out of last year and being developed as a big star and having hiccups on the road. I've talked about that the whole time. I'm just happy that that story culminated into a really great finish and i'm happy for both women my match of the weekend for sure um what was i supposed to talk about Cody? oh no all good all good i was just gonna kind of go reverse there and i can't even explain why um Not so good. yeah so i um, uh, yeah i agree i had both of these matches at four and a half um so i thought I they were both awesome that high on the codester but um i could see that i would i'd like to rewatch it Cody was a little sloppy. I can see that him being a little nervous leading in, but what a fucking moment. And you have to weigh that moment leading in. You have to weigh that moment. Um, the WWE really did a good job of building up that anticipation. I for sure think it was Hardy level, even because with the Hardys, you don't you forget that there was no build to being a fourth team. The New Day just threw it out there. So there was like low-key anticipation because us Marks kind of expected it or or kind of trusted or kind of heard that they were coming in. But with this one, you knew someone was coming in. And for it to live up to the Hardys moments where – and everyone knew or everyone assumed that it was Cody. They did a cute job of trying to pretend it was like The Undertaker or pretend that it was whoever. But um, the majority of us – it gunned to our head would have picked Cody, I think. So with all that things considered, just the presentation and Seth being so stupid and wonky leading into it. And that added to it. That just usually doesn't happen with Seth. And it's just the whole fireworks leading up from the ring post up to the stage. And then the Titan Tron with the fireworks. It was just beautiful. And then the whole, the you know, the family, whatever, whatever the opening is to the, the big adrenaline song. It was just a great presentation. They hit the they hit the thing where he above the stage. What a fucking great moment. The presentation was fantastic. He they made him look like a bigger star than he really is. And hopefully he can live up to it. You know, three cars three star Cody. I'm not sure if he can, but I'm optimistic that he can because the presentation was so good. Rollins worked his ass off. Cody was a little sloppy, but Cody brought it too. It was like a little spammy with the finishers and the big moves. Um, will it make my top five WWE matches of the week? Most likely, but it's probably going to be four or five. I don't think it's as high as, as some of the other stuff, or really as high as the women's. But overall, 
that was a hell of a stretch of Mania with those two matches back to back. Yeah, and the thing that Cody, I listened to, like I said, I listened to a Cody interview earlier, and he said the one part that he was worried about was getting to keep his music because he thought that that became a part of what he was. Mm-hmm. But the part that he was surprised that they let him get was when the lights go out and he gets wrestling as more than one royal family. And, um, that's and, and that's just all. the Let's... fact that they let him use the word wrestling still there kind of shows that they were, you know, where it was. And then the funny thing, that other thing, funny thing Cody said in the Helwani interview is he shook Vince's hand and he said, I don't want there ever be mention of Stardust. I don't want you to mention it. I don't want to mention it. I just want to put it to bed. It's a dark point in my career. I just, we've moved past it. And Vince shook his hand and said, okay. And then Cody said, and here I am being a fucking mark for myself. Um, I better put Cody <laughs> five minutes into the match. I'm doing the, the stardust spot myself. So he's like, I won't well, do it again. It's a, that's a different context too. You know, if that a little humbling, isn't a bad thing for Cody long-term, honestly. So for him to allude to stardust is probably in best nature because he comes across as taking himself very seriously. And that could be off putting a little bit to some people because just at the end of the day, you just know he's not as good of a wrestler as he comes across. But then again, the, the whole the whole presentation this weekend has been fantastic. So maybe it's just honestly a match made in heaven. And it sounds like he was unscripted Monday too. We'll get into that a little bit, maybe a little later quickly. But to hear that he's unscripted and I don't know, that's not unscripted. Well, obviously unscripted with bullet points and with a theme. But for for him to be unscripted, that's interesting. Just real quick before we put a bow on Cody. You know, everything leading up to Cody returning was all Bruce Pritchard that came out and that we, we whatever, you know, it, it was all Bruce. He's the one that's convincing to Vince to go with him. He's the one that's laying out all the presentation. He's the one in Vince's ear. So it's, you know, it's not always a bad thing, I guess, if if we go I'll, honestly, Mike, next time we talk, I would love to see where Cody's at in six to eight weeks just to see what comes about it, because there's going to be a void for him. Raw needs something up top. If the belt's involved or not, stakes are there, and him chasing whatever is interesting. And, yeah. And alluding to Wrestle uh, Monday Night Raw getting that rating before we I don't want to veer off too much, but for WrestleMania to get that rating, or uh, Raw to get that rating coming off WrestleMania with an NCAA tournament game in the mix, don't forget you a close one too. You know that's a testament to Cody's upside, and I'm kind of curious where we're at in, in two to three months or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I completely agree, and the presentation's been strong. Um, but you know, ultimately you're right. We'll see where they're at come SummerSlam. Uh, other, other two matches. I don't want to go too in depth with Charlotte beat Ronda and the surprise of the weekend. And this goes back to what we were talking about last week, how, you know, on paper, Ronda, Bianca and, um, Roman all made sense. One of them won't win. Um, this was that scenario. Um, Charlotte beat her with really a bullshit finish. I mean, Ronda shouldn't be getting pinned by one super kick. But, you know, it is what it is. We'll see how the story plays out. I don't really want to go too deep with it. I'm kind of over it. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, real quick. Um, It was building well. This is this is this style of something I'm going to get more into than others. The crowd wasn't dead, but the crowd wasn't as electric as it was. It was in a tough spot, you know, really coming behind those two mega matches before where the crowd was super invested. And really, don't forget, the crowd is anticipating Stone Cold Steve Austin here. So they're reserving a lot of their energy and a lot of their anticipation for Stone Cold. So this was literally the death spot. But this match was wrestled really well. Charlotte's super talented. Ronda's super talented. But it's a and 
just like kind of with the AJ and Edge match, this is the start of the feud. So it wasn't you don't you don't have the stakes the, or the culmination of really a end of a feud uh, getting delivered here. So that also has it working against it too. But overall, I'd probably say I haven't rewatched it. I, I'm going to rewatch it just so I have a peace of mind. It might be a three and a half star match, but it probably a three star match. There was enough good in it that got me excited for the rematch because I feel like they will build off of this to make the next match or two matches really be that good. Um, wouldn't be surprised if this thing goes all the way to hell in a cell in June and that's the blow off. Yeah. Um, but that you know, that and I sense. think that that's yeah. when, you know, we, we probably have a submissions match coming first. Um, and then that, or, but we'll see. Um, and then obviously Steve Austin and Kevin Owens was your main event of the night. Um, you know, I was surprised at how quick they got to a match and I'm not complaining. Steve looked really good for a guy, his age who hasn't wrestled in 19 years. Um, they had a really fun, safe style match, although he took some stupid bumps. Um, but this felt like a closure weekend for Steve Austin. What are your thoughts? Unbelievable. Um, just live, super, super fun. Um, just happy. I'm really happy for Steve. But in the preview, I was just like, I would, I would trust Steve Austin to trust himself to do whatever he feels like he should can or should do, and he did it what he can and should do. Um, I was so nervous for him at first because he was so clunky and off and nervous when the match first started. And I said, Oh no, <laughs> go Steve, what are you doing? But um, honestly, MVP KO, dude, that kid, that guy brought it. He, the build was fantastic, and the build is stupid. You know, the build was terrible on paper, but he brought it. And I and I just hope and I feel that Kevin Owens, at the end of the day, is at a higher place and a better place. And I think that makes Steve Austin happy because that's the kind of dude Steve Austin is. And that's his boy. Um, yeah. Just the fact that he took that suplex on the concrete. Oh, yeah, I was dude, like, there's no the apron too. I'm as just, it's happening, I'm like, there's no fucking way he takes this. Oh, he just took it. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. It is so, uh, such the fucking worker. He blocks it at first. And yeah. it sucks. Oh, he's not going to, it's not going to do it. Oh, he, he's no way he's going to do that. He blocks it. And then he's like, oh my God. And then boom, he did it. I'm like, this fucking guy, he's still got it. <laughs> what a fun night. What a fun way to close the show though. Um, this That's got you, this got you pumped for Sunday. If anything, it might've killed the energy on Sunday because of how good it was. Um, which, which that was brings me to my next point. So WrestleMania Sunday. Now to me, the crowd was, substantially worse on Sunday than it was Saturday. Did you feel that live? No, no. I had a really good section. I felt that it was in pockets, like the, it was in like pockets of match, like real quick edge and AJ. Yeah. It's just like Charlotte's the start of feud. You know, we, we might've overplayed ourselves a little bit, but I felt that they, that match was, was wrestled really well. Um, it's probably better than people anticipate or think it is at the end of the day. And it's just like they had, it was a slow paced match. It was like a triple H fucking WrestleMania match, but they, they definitely had the crowd within pockets of that match. And it was pretty good. Um, the stone cold pop was a fucking absolutely electric with the Vince stuff. The Vince stuff was so stupid, but it, it was like three minutes and it's to conclude his movie and whatever. It's yada, yada, yada. Should he be, be pinning Pat McAfee? No, but the Pat McAfee match was super fun. It delivered our boy theory came through and I'm happy for him. Um, the Knoxville stuff was unbelievable live, just super fun, you know, totally, it just worked. The, the, the mouse trap thing was stupid at the end, but overall, just unbelievably fun. That was basically an indie death match with, yes. with more expensive props. With, or in less violent, but just like, 
but, but while being violent, just like when he met picked him up, like the crowd, like went to 11 after being at 10. That was super, super fun. And don't forget, people forget about that raw tag match too. Unbelievably re- well wrestled. You know, you forget about how good that was and how over Orton and Riddle are. Love that match. Love that match. And I love the Gable Stevenson spot with Chad Gable telling the shoosh. Um, yep. I thought that that was really good. And that could have also been Gable Stevenson's way of saying, hey, Good luck with uh, good luck with whatever name they give you now, because I'm gonna take it. <laughs> yeah, Chad Chad Gable's a fuck, just uh, MVP the last two months. Um, and then the main event, they went home early. They went home ten minutes early. It was building well. It's still like a three and a half, three and a quarter, three and a half star match. Um, they were they were it's it's not AEW. They're they're gonna wait till the end till they get juiced. You know what I mean? They're not gonna fucking get juiced off the bat. It was a little spammy. But that's what these guys do. It was well wrestled. You can see where fucking Roman hurt his shoulder, and you could see Brock might have been a little loopy. I love the I love the spare Kamara spot, and yeah, it might have hurt Roman, but it was it was it was beautiful, and I love the touch of Heyman just pushing the rope there. That was a great stretch, and that led to the finish, and that led to a pretty good match everything considered and i'm a little sad and disappointed that we didn't get there but i get it romans romans money dude romans yeah and And the thing is like the energy around if if the rock was going to show up and then yeah you know we lost that and then we lost really what could have made and been an epic match but then pretty much having to cut it in half with what happened um kind of left a bad taste in the viewer's mouth because you know you went from you know, what we th- would have thought would have been like a 20, 20, 25 minute epic match with a potential mm-hmm. rock payoff at the end to yeah. now a 12 minute match with, you know, Roy Reigns really not even be able to pick both belts up over his head. Um, it, it was a letdown for sure. And it was so much fun before that. It's very disappointing. But that doesn't yep, mean I- that it w- that doesn't mean that it wasn't still fun when they were going at it. Yeah, it's it's if everything can, in a bubble, it was a good match. Everything considered, it was a letdown. Um, and I, I, I'm I feel bad for those guys for not being able to get there, especially Brock. Brock deserved it. it. Felt he felt like he felt disappointed afterwards as he left right away. <laughs> for sure, for sure, and I'm sure he was because especially knowing he's not going to be around now. For he's not going to be wild for a while, and he wanted to put his boy over. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Now, so now let's roll to Raw on Monday. I'm not going to go nuts because not much happened, yep. but. Um, no Becky. Now I will say that that Bianca crowd, that Bianca promo sounded like it had heat with the crowd. Did you feel that? Like, like go away heat? No, not go away heat, but they didn't seem like they were a hundred percent behind her. It felt like it was 50, 50. It almost felt like the, this is the baby face. We want to get the title, but now that she has it, we don't really care anymore. Oh, interesting. Live, I just I just got lost in her words, and that's something I, I usually don't do. I it was a good it, promo. I thought too. she was a very good promo from her. Yeah. Um, Maybe, but then again, Mike, these guys pump in crowd noise, so maybe, they do. Maybe it was thing, but real quick, fucking that Zelina tag, not Zelina, the Aria and Liv with Versace and Naomi tag match. They played the DX theme for like five seconds, and like that didn't come across on TV. No, I that must have been during commercial. I didn't notice it. Like, um, those in the ring looked absolutely shocked, and I was like, "What the fuck? These guys don't fuck up for Oh, imagine they came out dressed like women. Um, yeah. uh, but okay, so the Cody promo was pretty cut uh, paint by numbers. Um, that's a promo he felt like he's had it in the can for ten years. Um, but strong delivery, really good. You know, him getting choked up felt genuine, and it really made the Rollins thing was weird. But obviously, it's it's long term storytelling, so we'll get to where that goes. Uh, the one thing I've got to ask you about was how was the live crowd's reaction to Ezekiel? 
um, there was a lot of like, I thought it was Ezekiel Jackson, first of all, when the, when the Titan Tron pumped out and I was just like, people were like, who's that? And I was like, oh my God, that's Elias. And then people were like, oh my God, that's Elias. Like I didn't tell the crowd, but like I said it out loud and my section was like, oh wow, that's Elias. Like I was just like, wow, Elias is back. Like interesting. And then like, I thought it was a cute little angle for KO. And KO played it is the perfect guy to play that off of. Um, I don't think it's a letdown for KO to be in that spot. I think it's a, a good spot for both of them. And I'm, you know, it's it's stupid, but it's it's I don't mind WWE stupid if it works sometimes. You know, I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's yeah, for fun. sure. Elias slash Ezekiel is is a good WWE character. He's yeah. a great WWE character. It'd be great if there was a way for them to like have him do Elias at the same time. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. But we'll see where they go with it. They might be creative. They've been sitting on this guy for almost a year. So, um, and then um, there's really not much else to go with with Raw. I mean, Veer finally showed up, but we didn't see much with it. Now, Veer. how was? I'll say two things real quick. Yeah. Maga 2.0 Veer. I'll put my name on that one. Yeah, it could be. Very well, could be. Yep. Um, now, how was traffic in Dallas compared to the other cities? Traffic. Uh, Dallas stinks, in my opinion. It just everything is so sudden and tight. The exits are so narrow. Um, and they're so sudden. It's like I walked home on Saturday night and I had my GP. It, well, it's my fault, but I <laughs> whatever I had my G, or Friday night I had my GPS on drive and <laughs> I walked fucking to the highway like an idiot. But um, I'm roaming the streets at like 1:32 in the morning, a little out there. But anyways, um, I should have went to the clusterfuck. I should have. I was almost there, but my I was in a clusterfuck. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> But um, overall, every it's just too spread out. You know, what I mean, it's just it's too uber reliant for it to be it's to be like a wicked like New Orleans is perfect. It's 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 too uber reliant to be a WrestleMania city in my opinion. And Uber right here was was terrible from all the reports I was hearing. Yeah, I didn't I didn't I don't I Ubered to stand and deliver, but I had a car, so I didn't really it didn't matter to me. But just yeah. my my observation of everyone, it was too uber reliant. For everybody to kind of, you know, maximize their time as fun instead of adding too much stress. Dallas gotcha. was really stressful. Gotcha. All right. Well, I'm going to buzz through my top 10 matches of the weekend. Um, I know we disagree a little bit on Becky Bianca, but they're close enough. So yeah. 10, 10 to 1. 10, I have Blake Christian, AR Fox at Spring Break, night one. Nine, I've got the RK Bro Mania Tag Match from Sunday. Eight, I've got Biff and Minoru Suzuki from WrestleCon which is the Mark Hitchcock from Memorial Show. Seven, which is the only match we hadn't talked about prior, was um, Speedball Mike Bailey against Switchblade Jay White at the New Japan um, Strong Show. Really well-messed match, about 17 minutes or so, pretty good. Um, NXT ladder match, I had six. Five, I had Becky Bianca. Four, I had Biff Moxley. Uh, three, I had Cody and Rollins. Two, I had FTR and the Briscoes. And then number one, I had Bandito Speedball. Um, so... I'm going to reiterate, you got to go watch that match. Everybody, not just you, Ryan, everybody that hasn't seen it needs to go check it out. Um, and then we will close up by just kind of taking a look at 2023. Now, the GCW Collective has already been announced for the Ukrainian Cultural Club, which is GCW's normal L.A. spot. Um, WrestleCon's yet to be announced. Um, the stadium's in Inglewood, which is a good half hour away from downtown L.A., which is you know, a little bit further than it is in Dallas. That could be a little bit of a mess. Um, I expect L.A. to be very expensive next year, guys, because they've been yeah. able to plan this for a couple of years. It hasn't been just dropped on them now. 
Um, and just LA in general is expensive. So if you go in next year, you know, shop around before you book a hotel. If you have a shot to do WrestleCon, just do it or like an Airbnb or something. Um, but I think WrestleCon, watching these things from home, I think I would stay at the WrestleCon hotel or near it, you know, 99% of the time now, just because their shows are so much fun. It's so much different. You got to get to at least one GCW show, but in watching the WrestleCon shows versus GCW, the WrestleCon shows were just better. I know that Spring Break show and that Blood Sports show were good, but I mean, WrestleCon show, you've got a match like Speedball and Bandito opening it. I mean, it's just more depth. Um, And then the one question I have for you for us to, to think about. So, the world is preparing for Dwayne Johnson against uh, Roman Reigns next year. Whether it happens or not is the question. If that does not happen, who does Roman Reigns get as an opponent? And then furthermore, who does Brock Lesnar get as an opponent? And then lastly, who will be the champions going into WrestleMania next year? Will Roman still have both? Will there only be one title or will there be two champions? What are your takes on, on those really three questions? Well, I didn't prep for this, so we're going off the we're going right off the hip. Um, yes, I think Roman should drop the WWE title soon, but I think that he should be the Universal t- Champion still. Everything considered, that you know the, they don't announce Monday that he's out three to six months with a shoulder injury, and that it's just a hiccup, and that it's rehabbed, and they can make magic work. So I don't think he should be the WWE Champion for a whole year. That's kind of insane, but maybe past WrestleMania backlash, like maybe to Hell in the Cell or whatever that pay-per-view in between at the latest SummerSlam. But um, yeah, I can see a world where he may be universal champion continuously. Um, but I think he's going after Pedro next. Pedro's what, 1025? And every day that Roman Reigns is champion right now, it's two days. So keep that in mind that he's going to catch him a lot sooner than anticipated but the closer he gets the more they're probably want to want to get to it is what i'm kind of saying so in 2020 whatever to think that you would beat pedro morales you'd be like get the fuck out of here with the adhd world that we live in but um i think that would be pretty cool for roman um if it's not the rock if it's not the rock i don't first of all i I don't think the rock needs the belt against Roman. So you could even get the belt off Roman at the rumble. You can cost him or whatever, but if it's not the rock, I think you would have to look at Gable. I think you would have to, I don't think you can wait out on drew. I think Drew's going to get delivered in between the now and the then, of course, um, same with Gunther slash Walter. And then I don't know how Gable's going to look. He was a little bit better charisma wise, but you know, in, if he's a better athlete than Brock, he's going to take to the ship pretty fucking quick. So I'm having high hopes by saying Gable, but I think Gable's facing Brock. So I would say low-key breaker or as a wild uh, – Braun breaker or as a wild card like Matt Riddle. Maybe Theory, but I don't think Theory will be there credibility-wise. But maybe Riddle, most likely breaker, maybe Stevens. What about Cody? No fucking chance. You but don't think I, so? I don't. I don't think so. I think. I think he drops it to. I think there might be a chance there. Cody becomes champ. But I don't. I don't want to say no chance because obviously there's a chance. But I don't know. Maybe. But I think that they would get to it quicker. I think the eye. You get a stri- with Cody. You get a strike while the iron's hot because the crowd might turn on him. 
And X-Factor name, we got to say, because we know his contract's going to be coming up soon, and he'll probably get a prime spot if it happens, is, is the aforementioned John Moxley. Moxley, I, but I think they would blow off some weird three-way shield stuff. That's why they protected Rollins earlier. You know what I mean? So I think that they couldn't – maybe Mike, but I don't think they could um, with, with withhold themselves but doing something before that at SummerSlam or one of the stadium shows in the fall – uh, before WrestleMania, but honestly, Mike, maybe that I would definitely think that too, possibly. And I would think that even Moxley and Brock having another go at it would be something that they would think about. But you're right; I think Gable a year out makes a lot of sense. But we what? do, you know, we've talked about it a lot, yeah. but we got to think about the fact that they've got four stadium shows from G- July 1st until the end of September, um, with Money in the Bank in Vegas, with SummerSlam in um, Nashville, with the London show which is looking like it's going to be the weekend of all out Labor Day. And then they're going to go to back to Saudi, which, you know, from the looks of this past year, what did they say? Saudi was in BTLC. Looks mm-hmm. like it's going to be booked more like a conventional WWE show, as opposed to like, a, you know, a dream video game car, like they were for a little while. Um, so those are four big shows, man. And then, you know, we'll be at that. Then already we'll be talking about Survivor Series in Boston, not long after that. So, uh, yeah, which I feel like is going to be a different build this year than the years past. I think they're kind of going to be past where they were before um, with the brand versus brand thing, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of big shows in the, in the four coming months here that, you know, you can probably pencil in Roman losing at least one of those titles along the line here, whether it's to a Cody or to a Rollins or then drops to a Cody or, or something. But I feel like there's more meat on the bow with Rollins and Reigns, the way that they ended that at the rumble. Um, and then, you know, Bobby you know Lashley is a big works. baby. You know how my brain works. You ready for the next year? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So you get Drew right away on the SmackDown side. He, and he overcomes Drew leading into SummerSlam. SummerSlam. And then on the Raw side, it's Cody in, in Roman. And he, he outlasts Cody. So SummerSlam, now we have Seth, Ambrose, or Moxley with Drew in like this European WrestleMania 16 IC match. Rollins takes the belt off him for Raw. Roman survives Moxley. He and then he feuds in Moxley at the spring. I mean in the fall, leading into the Survivor Series. And then Cody takes it off Seth afterwards after SummerSlam at some time in the fall. And then leading into that at the Rumble, shit, you might <coughs> you might get Orton. You might get Riddle on that side, but I don't know. That's where I don't know. But that's it for me, Mike. My my, my throat's gonna die. <laughs> All right, man. So let's wrap it up from here then. So thank you for we were able to give you guys two different perspectives of this Mania weekend and a lot of shit to watch. And we didn't watch a lot of it. So I hope you guys enjoy the uh, you know, next couple months of wrestling. And, and I'm sure you'll hear from us with our hot takes again sometime soon. So have a good one. And um, we'll catch you guys when we catch you later. I had a fucking attack.